Welcome to See a Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are observing men and women in the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we consider the account of the curious figure Samson. James discusses his birth, his desire of the eye, his sinful inclinations, his divine humility, and consequent victory from God. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. All right, so today, we, as we continue in our series, Men and Women in the Bible, thank you for that, um, <laughs> we are going to look at really the last judge in the book of Judges, Samson, who's known for his strength. But we're going to kind of change things up here. Um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't think of this until later in the series. But, and honestly, I don't really have an exact plan for this. But gener- basically, what I want us to start doing is basically seeing these as kind of movies. I want us to get a great visual picture of what's going on in God's providence and in God's revelation. It's, it's, a, it's a full story with many, many sequels, you know, it's more than Fast and Furious, if you can believe it. <laughs> there are many, many sequels. And, and so in this particular, particular account, there are basically four different acts with many different scenes. And so we'll, we'll, we'll peruse some of them fairly briefly as we go through these four chapters. So what I want to discuss, though, briefly before we even look at Samson is, since y'all had read those four chapters, we see that it's dark. It's a lot different. You know, everything's different. But let's go back to the, the account of Deborah, her, her amazing faithfulness, her and, her and God's deliverance through De- Deborah. And then let's remember Gideon, you know, his, his tendency to kind of rise and fall. You know, he, he, he was imperfect, let's put it that way. And now it, gets, it descends to such an extent as Samson's story. Samson himself is a judge. He's a little different that, you know, all the other judges were called to deliver through an army, you know, to raise up a military or a militia and go and deliver the Israelites out of the hands of their enemies. Samson is, goes solo. He's the only one. He, he's the judge that delivers by himself. And I want us to, or we need to recognize the fulfillment of Christ who fulfills all of these issues. At the end of Judges, and some of this was uh, later added, basically just around the kingship of David, the story of Samson is, and at the end of the book is when it says, you know, there was no king in the land, and therefore everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So what what the Bible kind of shows us is, even Moses, there was never a p- perfect prophet, right? And we've seen there has not been a perfect judge. Deborah was fantastic, but she wasn't perfect, right? And we will see there are no perfect kings. There are no perfect priests. So what this continue to show, to, continues to show us, especially with the account of uh, Samson and the account of Judges, that the perpetual decline is that we need a perfect priest, We need a perfect king. We need a perfect prophet. We need a perfect deliverer in so many ways, not just sinless, but strong, strong and mighty to save. And that is Christ. The strength that Samson is given 
is only by the power of God. It's not in the power of his hair, okay, and we'll make that a point. But I want us to, we need to recognize the, the, what this shows us, that looking forward to Christ. Christ is the culmination of the entire Word of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. So as, you, as we continue through this series, as you read you know, these accounts before we come together, I want you to look for that yourself, okay? Christ is throughout the Bible. He is everywhere. And, and, and we need to continually grow in recognizing that in our own personal studies. Okay, so let's consider the first act, which has nothing to, well, little to do with Samson, but Samson's not even a character in the first act. It's all about his parents. Now, Samson is one of only two people in the Bible, in the Old Testament anyway, who has their birth narrative given before they're born. Samuel's another one with his wonderful mother, Hannah, that we, who we will consider God willing when we get to that part. So Samson is very special here, okay? And we'll, because again, what, what we need to emphasize is that Israel is declining, declining, and declining. And now she's very, very low, okay? So let's go ahead and jump in and, and we'll consider this, this interesting account, but God ordained as well. All right. So again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So it begins with again. This is the only time it says again, and it doesn't say why, but if we go back to chapter 10, verse 6, just before Jephthah is, is is called to deliver, and if y'all want to read another dark account, this he he made a foolish vow, which ended up making him sacrifice his daughters, the only human sacrifice from Israel that wasn't considered idolatry. Let me put it that way: gross and heinous, foolish, foolish vow. And we won't get into that. We're not considering Jephthah. However, so it says here in, in verse 6, then the, children, then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve them. So this is the again. That's what they're doing. That's, this is what they're doing. And that's why God's handing them over. Now, I've been, we've been waiting basically until this part because this is where doing evil in the sight of the Lord makes a very, very distinct point about the eyes. A better translation of this actually would be doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and that's, even that is throughout the Bible. The eye, you know, we are the apple of his eye. And, and, and that literally means we are the reflection if you look in somebody's eyeball, you see yourself. You know, if you were to go really closely to somebody's eyeball, you see yourself. So we are the apple of his eye in that respect. But the eyes, later, Samson's eyes are gouged out. And all of his sins and all of his declines are really on account of his eyes. Now, they're, handed into the, they're delivered into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the longest oppression. This is the longest oppression of judges. And let's remember 40 years after the deliverance through Deborah, they had peace for 40 years. 
They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. The many, many different 40 years accounts. Christ in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The 40 is a lot, but here the 40 is oppression. It's judgment, which again is meant to bring his people back to himself. But he's doing it with one man. So, now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Now, his wife is not, is not named. The only woman named in this whole account is Delilah, and she has an interesting name. We'll get to that when we get to her. So her, his mother isn't even named here. What this tells me is, because we're going to come back to his father after a little bit, so I think uh, the writer is basically making it a point here. Pay attention to Manoah. The angel of the Lord comes to his wife, but pay attention to Manoah. Indeed, now you are barren. Oh, I'm sorry. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. We come across that before. Does anybody remember coming across that? And the angel Gabriel told that to Mary. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So there's one. <laughs> also John the Baptist. This is the Nazarite consecration, basically. And John's called to the, to the same thing. Not to cut your hair, not to drink, you know, because you're separated for, the, for God. That's what this is. That's what God is saying. Your son... You shall conceive and bear a son, and your son is consecrated. He's separated for God, specially, specially, him specifically. Uh, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, if we go to number six, that's where you will see, you know, all of the account of what a na the Nazarite vow entails. And we will return to that when his hair is actually cut. But uh, so that's, if you want to learn more about what this Nazarite vow is, it's really supposed to be a, kind of a temporary deal. You know, you, you make this vow until you fulfill the vow. And then, and then there's uh, a, a, an offering you have to do and so forth. So we'll return to that. So the woman came and told her husband saying, uh, a man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. So she says she saw a man of God. She doesn't even know this is an angel. Let's go back to Gideon. Remember, Gideon didn't know it was the angel of the Lord until after, until he ascended up to heaven, you know, right after he consumed the entire offering. So same thing. This, this account is very similar to the account of Gideon, even with the offering, which, which we'll see. Oh, and so she says the countenance, he had the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. This word is actually better translated. It's very terrible, very fearful. The face of this angel was scary. I was full of dread and terror. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, but, but I was full of fear. Awesome. He was awesome. I was awed by the, the countenance of this man. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So the angel of the Lord is telling even his mother, don't, because he's in your womb, so you don't even defile him in this way. Okay? 
Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the, child, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah faithfully prays. However, he had already gotten, he had already received the noticia. He had already received the data. Basically, the angel of the Lord still returns. He, he, he answers his prayer. He goes ahead. He, God sends the angel of the Lord, but still back to his wife. You know, basically God saying, look, I already told you and I'm going, yes, I'll return, but I'm returning the way I came the first time. <laughs> All right. And so you're going to have to work this out yourself. So he wasn't with her. His, his wife came and ran him down to bring him. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this, who spoke to this woman? He said, and he said, I am. Now, a lot of people make a big deal out of this because, you know, in the account with Moses, I am who I am. That, that's not what this is saying. He's, this really says, I. So it's not even I am. That's why the am is sometimes, you know, in italics. It just says, I Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will the boy's rule of life, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Basically, everything I already said. <laughs> okay, there's no more information you've got. You have the entire revelation for your son. Of all that, so, be, but be careful to, to let her follow these. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine. Nor, she, nor may she drink uh, wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. See? Remember Gideon is the same way. He says, just hang out for a second. I know, you know, the tendency is to just disappear before you know, we'd like it. So just hang out for a second. Um, and so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. So don't make an offering for me. This isn't for me. Your offerings are for God. So yes, go ahead and make an offering, but offer it to the Lord. I'm not going to eat any of it. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my... Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. This word basically means incomprehensible, un inexhaustible, some mysterious, but it's also full of wonder. And let's remember Isaiah's prophecy that he is the wonderful counselor. He is wonderful. He's, he's far surpasses our understanding. So why do you ask me my name? No, there's no name I can give you. That, that, that names are very important in the Bible. They they actually mean something. Now we call children based on fancy little how they sound and how we can you know make different spellings of them and stuff. Names used to mean something, and, and so the angel is saying, "There's no, my name is wonderful. Who I am is is inexhaustible. It's incomprehensible. Why do you ask me my name? <laughs> Seeing it is wonderful." So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock up to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. 
just very similar to Gideon, but basically the angel of the Lord is cons consumed in the fire again and ascends to heaven, just like Christ, who is consumed in death, rose again, ministered to his apostles and his disciples, and returned to his father. Let's see all this. This is what it's pointing forward to. And again, Christ is the amazing fulfillment of all this. This is what the Jews were looking forward to. They didn't know. They didn't know. Even when David was talking about the, his son who was to come, he didn't know exactly. And the book of Hebrews makes a big deal out of, we should be grateful. We, we have the account. We, the Christ has come. This is what the prophets and everybody were looking forward to. They did not, they were not able to see the fulfillment. So these are what, this is what they're looking forward to. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more, no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So they, again, realized it after the fact. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Remember, that was Gideon's problem too. But his wife said to him, because his wife is seemingly more pious and understands the revelation of God far, far more than her husband does, as we will see later. If the, so his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would, have not, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a green offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at, at this time. Like, you know, how are we going to have a son if we're dead? So, you know, calm down, Manoah. <laughs> so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahena, Mahena uh, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. So Zorah and Eshtel comes, comes back later in the account. This is actually where he's buried. So the Spirit of the Lord first comes upon him, first fills him. Now this is a different filling of the, so, uh, the Spirit then salvation okay this is for a specific purpose but he began to come to him he began to grow in samson at the same place he's later buried this is a memorial for him and his father's buried there too now this one we're going to be fairly brief so as we move into chapter 14 we're going to kind of look at this somewhat in passing so now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines so he went up and told his father and mother saying I have seen I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her, get her for me as a wife. This is, this is how it would be done. The parents would arrange the marriage. So basically, he's saying, I have seen, because, and we will see, this continues to be a problem for Samson. So I've, I've seen this Philistine, and go get her for me. And uh, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Because again, you're not to marry the infidel. You're not to marry the, the, the non-believer, in our, in our case, not to be unequally yoked. And Samson, who's called to be the judge of Israel and him alone, is asking his parents, go get a Philistine for me. The ones who've been oppressing us for 40 years, who've been oppressing us for an entire generation, and now the, the children of Israel are just fine with that. They're just content with the oppression. They're, nobody's rising up. We'll see even the tribe of Judah is fine with it. Everybody's just kind of resting in it now. They've just accepted it. We saw that, remember, when, well, you don't remember, when Samuel, uh, Hannah prays for Samuel. She's barren and she prays for Samuel. 
Sarah desperately wanted a child. We don't see that in the mother of Samson. I think they're just reticent and complacent with this oppression. It's been 40 years. It's been a generation. So, but his father and mother did not, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and so, and Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well, because she looks good. For his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So many people think that this was Samson's plan, that I'm going to marry into this Philistine so that I can infiltrate the enemy. No, this is basically saying, no, he wanted this Philistine woman because she was pretty, and God is using this. That's, that's who the he is, because did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So he's going to use Samson's evil, which he will continually do through his judgment, in, and make it his good. Use his evil for God's good. <clears throat> so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So, this is the first time we see how strong he is. We, in this whole thing, the angel of the Lord didn't say he's going to be super strong, you know, just so you know. This is a specific gift meant for a specific reason, for a specific time. Now, Samson is given this strength. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. All of a sudden, he's attacked by this lion. Let's look at David. Remember when he was recalling, put, taking down the lion and the bear. And, and Samson has the strength to tear this lion apart like a kid of a goat. I don't know how easy tearing apart a kid of a goat is, to be honest with you. But apparently, it's easier than a lion. I mean, it's, probably, it's definitely easier than a lion and far less dangerous, you know. You know, you're likely to at least overcome a donkey, the kid of a donkey, than a lion. But he's given this strength to confirm to him as well. This will encourage him as he has to go up against all these Philistines as well. So he tears this lion apart with nothing in his hands, just with his bare hands. He never has a sword. He never has a shield. Let's go back to Gideon when God delivered Israel through 300 men with trumpets, a pitcher, and a torch. No sword, no shield, nothing. Same thing with Samson. Strength from God. From God. Deliverance from God. These people are conduits. Conduits. God is calling these men. They are his men and women. Then he went down, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. Part of the Nazarite vow is you cannot touch anything unclean, which is anything dead. You cannot touch the carcass. In fact, even if one of your relatives dies... You cannot even be around it. So basically, you can't go to the funeral kind of a thing. So this is, this is, this is one checked off, right? One of, the, one of the things that he's consecrated for, one of the things that is supposed to separate him, and one of his obedience is to not touch the carcass. God fills him with his spirit to, to tear the lion apart, and now Samson sins. This is a sin. Now, honey was a great commodity back then. This, at this time, if you can imagine, they have no sugar. 
you know, so so the only, the only way they get sweetness is really through honey and these these kinds of things. That's why God makes the point that this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's sweet and it's satisfying. It fills you. All of your needs are met. All of your wants are met in this land, full, flowing with milk and honey. So his father went down to the woman. And Samson gave a feast. By the way, he also didn't even tell his parents, first of all, that he killed the lion. <laughs> and that's interesting. Nor did he tell them that he had gotten it out of the carcass of the lion. So basically, he caused the unknown sin of his parents by not telling him that, telling them that. Terrible, terrible of Samson. This, this is one of those indications. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for the young, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, this is a feast of about seven days, and it's full of drunk, drinking and feasting. It's likely Samson drank. This is checkbox two of the vow. Basically, all that's left is his hair. All right? The, so those first two, Samson has, has sinned against. And that's going to be a point um, later in the narrative. Then Samson said to them, let me pose. So they bring 30 companions to him to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you should give me, give me 30, linen, 30 uh, linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. This would be very, very expensive. Many people think Samson must have been rich just to even make this wager. Samson's riddle is near impossible to solve. He's the only one who knows this is even possible. So, so it's kind of a cheating. He's kind of cheating here. But this would be crazy expensive. You know, they don't go to Walmart and get their clothes. They got to make them themselves. You know, they got to, you know, weave and all that kind of stuff. And, and it takes a long time, you know. So this is very valuable, which, you know, we'll see anyway. Um, so this is the, so I'm going to tell you a riddle. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson wife, Samson's wife, they're getting desperate. Entice your husband, let's remember that word, entice your husband, because the same thing is what they implore Delilah to do. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Okay, that's pretty much a jump of the gun there, man. They went to the extreme. <laughs> Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? In other words, this, they think that this, this is a con, you know, this is a conspiracy. Samson and this, his new wife have come together and figured out how to impoverish the people. So they're like, is that what this is all about? If, because this is what we think this is all about. You better tell us this or else we'll burn your father's house and, and so forth. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You opposed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. Let's remember that with Delilah. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him, for se on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Let's remember that as we go to Deborah, or Delilah. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. Now the sons of her people, 
The writer's telling us that this Philistine woman still sees herself as part of those people, part of the Philistines. We will see with Ruth and other characters, Rahab, we remember Rahab, she left her people and became the people of God. She became part of the community of the people of God. This Philistine woman is not. Okay, so she's saying, you know, do this for me, for my people, ultimately. And she pressed him for seven days. And so Samson gets tired of it, got tired of it. And so she just told her. Um, so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Samson's enraged here. Basically, he, he, he married this woman, and now he sees he's been betrayed. He's been severely betrayed. And th so this is, this is kind of a reflection, though, of what he was trying to do. He basically gave them an impossible riddle to solve. And because of his betrayal of his wife, they were able to solve it. Okay, And so he's infuriated, as we will see. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and went down and killed 30 of the men. So this indicates to me that he didn't have 30 pieces of clothes just chilling, ready to give to these men. And so he... he he agrees, you know, he makes the deal, you know, he, he complies and he brings the 30 garments, but they're not in the best condition. They're probably full of blood, you know, full of guts, full of all this stuff. So he's probably making a point as a warning. You betrayed me. This was, this was totally deceitful. This is not the way this is supposed to go. So I went and killed 30 of your men and here are the garments, but I've still fulfilled the, the promise of this this transaction. Now, then Samson went back to his father's house. Again, he's enraged, he's infuriated, so he takes off. And Samson, Samson's wife was given to his companion. And we'll see why. Chapter 15. After a, while, after a while, in a time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go to my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go. So Samson might, might, start, might have started feeling badly. He's like, okay. I kind of, yeah, I, that was a bit hasty of me. Let me go back to my wife and make it up to her. And, and this time, instead of flowers, he's bringing a young goat. You know, this is a romantic deal. I'm sure my wife would be very excited if I brought her a young goat rather than flowers to make up stuff for her. Um, so, but he, so he wanted to go into his wife and go into a room, but her father would not permit him to go. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Uh, really prettier. Please take her instead. So the father's like, hey, Ohms, you know, I'm sorry. I thought you, I mean, you just took off. I thought you hated her. I thought you were enraged. I thought you were never going to come back. And so I gave her into the hand of your best man, basically. That's what, you, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. So that's what I did. And Samson said to them, this time I should be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches 
turned the fox's tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. This is a funny scene to me, actually. But let's also think about the 300 men when God basically said, I just need, I just want 300 dogs. I'm going to deliver 300 dogs. Now, Samson's getting 300 foxes. If you've ever tried to catch a fox, it's pretty difficult. So, you know, I just see Samson running around trying to catch all these guys and then tying them together with their tails while they're all yipping, you know, making all their noises, all complaining, biting at them and whatnot. But he, but he makes it happen. And so he ties their tails together. And in that tail, he puts a torch. And he has them run through the fields, destroying all of their crops. Remember, in, Gideon, when, in the story of Gideon, when the, the Midianites and the Malachites were destroying their harvest. Now, Samson is doing that to the Philistines. Also, I want to say the Philistines, this is the first part, this is the first time, really, the Philistines start to become the fiercest enemies of Israel. And we'll see many battles in Gaza. We'll see Gaza here which has perpetuated to our own time, very recently, very recently. <sighs> then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. These are evil and destructive men, you know. They, they compelled her to tell them the, the account, you know, to deceive Samson. And she did to save her father's house. And now, because her father did what was right, Samson does this. And they don't first go after him. They destroy these, these people who at least weren't part of the offense. They're not innocent, but they weren't part of this offense. This is unjust, tyrannical, and terrible. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. Let's remember that. So I'm going to take vengeance. I'm going to avenge my wife. This is, that was terrible. And this is kind of a continual back and forth. So once I avenge her, I'm done. Let, let's, that's it. All right, let's just part ways. But I, this is the last of it. You know, I'm, I, justice demands that I repay evil for evil in this in this regard but after that i will cease so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter they went down and dwelt in the cleft cleft of the rock of edom so he destroys them and then he takes off and hides because he said after that i will cease right and so and the narrator doesn't tell us the the full account actually this is one the only one that we don't get the whole story i think the writer's like okay Okay, let's just skip through this one. We have enough terrible accounts, you know, to mix in with this, with this story. So let's just move to the next. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Ju Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? See, they're, they're reticent. They're, they're complacent in that the fact that the Philistines rule over us. They come to Samson, this man who is God's blessed with this strength and has, has called and consecrated to himself. Judah should have known that. 
so it, Judah takes 3,000 men. They don't, you know, band together as a 3,000 men to go up against the Philistines. They band together to go up and arrest Samson to deliver him into the hands of the Philistines, just like the Pharisees and the priests delivered Christ over. And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. This is the first time, really the first and only time, well, this is the first time, Samson is actually starting to act like a judge. This is the first time. He is leading the men, and he's basically saying, Okay, cool, cool, you, you can do that, but just so you know, this is going to be a great fight. I'm going to fight the Philistines, and you don't have to. I'm not asking you to join me in the fight. I'm just asking for you not to join them. I'm just asking that you, my brothers, don't kill me. Please, we've done enough evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Promise me, swear to me, you will not kill me yourself. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Let's remember the two new ropes as we go to Delilah. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burnt with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. This is an amazing deliverance. This is, this, is, this is fantastic. Set the scene. Set the scene. A thousand men. He's, he's bound and he's able to get out of that like nothing. Now strength, strength alone will not deliver you from a thousand men. You've got to be agile. You've got to have endurance, crazy endurance. You've got to be quick. You know, it, it's not like, you know, you just, strength will not, strength alone will not deliver you from 1,000 men. God alone can deliver you from 1,000 men. That's what this is saying. Let's not be impressed with Samson. Now, I don't know what the jawbone of a donkey is. I don't know what that looks like. But I know it's not in, as intimidating as that of a lion. I know it's not as huge as that of an elephant. He takes this, again, not a weapon. He uses what is around him, just like David. He uses what is around him. And in this case, it's the jawbone of a donkey, which many people make to symbolize different things. And you can have your own fun with that. But be careful. Be careful. It's, it's easy to over-spiritualize these things. And, and we must be careful not to do that. Origen, one of the early church fathers, did a lot of that. But he was very uh, productive as well. He, did, he um, fed us with a lot of the, theological education as well. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. Samson like, likes riddles, as we've seen, and he says this riddle. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lahi. Then he became very thirsty, obviously. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So he's basically, he's, he's imploring God. He's saying, thank you. Thank you for that. But, you know, now I'm a little thirsty. Could you, you know, would you help out finishing this and refresh me from your great deliverance? 
you used me and, and I'm exhausted, you know, because, you know, <laughs> my body is still my body and it's still fleshly, fleshy. I am not divine. So I do get thirsty. Will you provide for me the living waters, your living waters? Let's see Christ in this whole thing. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, returned, and he revived. Therefore he called his name Enakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. That is a very, that is a very long time for him to judge. So he judged Israel for 20 years. And we have all, just few little snippets you know, of, the, of his judgeship of 20 years. Now let's go to the more famous account. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the, when the Gazites were told Samson has come, come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight, and he rose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Okay, so... He knows that they're going to kill him the next day, right? Now, in evening, for protection, they would close the gates. They would shut the gates, okay, it's to, to, to protect them from any intruders, right? And so Samson is trapped. The only way, you know, the only way he can really get out is still through the gates. That's the only, that's the, only, that's the weakest part of the, of the whole wall, the whole surrounding wall of the, of the city. So he pulls them up. He pulls them straight up the gates and he carries them to Hebron, which is about 30 miles away. And it's all uphill. It's all uphill. And Hebron is a pretty is on. It's pretty high. Now, Hebron is where David is crowned king of Judah. And then he's later crowned king of Israel. I think the writers starting the writers definitely leading us to David. That's what, the, that's what the ending of Judges is all about, leading us to David. Okay, David's going to be a big deal when we get to him. But all of this is really looking forward to David, really looking forward to Christ, all right, David's son. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman. So again, though, he saw a harlot. Again, his, his eyes continue to cause him to do these sins. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. All right. So this is the first time we see that he loved a woman. He saw the woman, the Philistine woman. He saw the harlot. He keeps seeing and seeing and seeing. Now he loves a woman. That's going to be a big deal. He fell in love with this woman. Delilah, simply put, basically means seductress. One who seduces. Flirtatious. One who draws you to her, you know, so that's a better translation. And we will see that that's exactly what she does. But Samson falls in love with her. For the first time, he's actually in love. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, remember entice, and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver now this entice him again a better translation would be actually seduce him 
your name is Delilah? Seduce him. We don't know if that's actually her, her name because all the other women are, are, are unnamed. Might just be very well be that the writer is saying whose name was seductive, basically. She, her, her woman, her, her character was seductive. Just like the angel Lord wouldn't give his name because it's, you know, it's incomprehensible. Her name, she is seductive. So seduce him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means. And so 1,100 pieces of silver. Look, I, today it would be basically billions of dollars because it's, it's five leaders who come, to, who come to her and each of them are offering her these 11 pieces of silver, 1,100 pieces of silver. This is seriously about, this is billions of dollars that they're offering her in today's money. They are desperate to get rid of Samson. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson is a slow learner, very slow. He keeps on, he keeps on finding himself in these predicaments based on these same evil, same slip-ups, same sins, same, and he just keeps on, remember, he'd been pestered by his Philistine wife for seven days. And now this is the first time she asks him, uh, so, and Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, yet not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. First lies to her. He first lies to her because he's like, okay, I remember, remember my former wife. I know, you know, I need to see if I can trust you. So he, he told her a lie. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, uh, now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks, it, breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. So now Samson at least knows, okay, this is a setup. This is a setup. But he's in love. He's in love. He's blinded with his love for her. So, <clears throat> then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what, what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson already knows he can get through new ropes. He had already had when, when the tribe of Judah delivered him into the Philistines. Those were new ropes. And he tore those off with no problem. So he knows that's not going to work. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. So again, he just continues to do this and just, you know, destroys those people. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. Basically, she's saying, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't love me. Just like his former wife, you know, his wife, his Philistine wife. Same thing. You don't love me. You hate me. Tell me. Tell me the truth. Why are you lying to me? I thought you loved me. If you love me, you wouldn't lie to me. Tell me. And he said to her, oh, this is another deception. If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove a tight, so basically put a bun, <laughs> put a bun, put a beam in, and that'll do it. And that didn't do it. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart. 
and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So he told her all his heart. There's only one. There's only one we're supposed to give all our hearts to, and that is to God. We are meant to love him with all of our hearts and with all of our souls. Delilah became Samson's God. We are called to love our wives, but not more than God. He told her all his heart, should have been telling God all his heart, repenting of all of his wickedness, which is now ascending and ascending and ascending, and here reaches its climax. He worships Delilah, basically, in this respect. So he tells her, no razors ever touched my head. This is the last part of my vow. This is the only one I haven't broken. Now I'm breaking it because I love you more than I love God. You've complained about my not loving you. Now I love you too much. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, so she knows this time. She knows, because you always know, right? Especially if you've been lied to many, many different times. You, find, you typically know when the truth finally comes out. She knows. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told... Because, you know, they've done this three times. They're, they're getting a little tired of this. They're, you know, they're probably like, okay, I don't know. I don't know if we can trust this one. <laughs> Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Lord did not depart him from him because his hair was cut. The Lord departed him from him because he had been consecrated to God. He had separated Samson to himself from the womb, from the womb. And so God departs. When, if you're going to give your God all of your heart, you are no longer consecrated. You are no longer separated to me. If you do not love me, God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, far more than every, anybody else, then you're not mine. This isn't, it's not like a, you know, a selfish, petty man, like, oh, no, no, love me more, love me more. No, that's what holiness is. That's what consecration is. That's what separation is. That's what being part of his people is. I give my, there's no one in the world I give my heart to more in the flesh than my wife. By nature, if I gave my heart to anybody else, I have defiled my marriage. Even if I don't do anything physically, if I love anything or anyone in this world more than her, especially God, so let's not look at his, him as some petulant dictator expecting nonsense. He expects the same thing he has given us. He loves us. He died for us. So, let us give a, him all of our hearts. And this is the gross sin of Samson. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, which were the tools of his sin, 
and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. So they bound him with bronze fetters. He's finally weak, and they finally use the strongest <laughs> mechanisms. It's kind of ironic. And then they placed him to be a grinder of a mill. Basically, this would be, you know, you would have a donkey do this. It's a strong, I mean, it's, it's a hard task. It's a hard task. And they put him to work in the mill, blinded. You can't see. And so he's able to do that because he's basically just pushing in circles. So that's what he, he's left to do. Now, the lords of the Philistines gathered together, together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our lord, our, our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So these people think that Dagon has delivered Samson. They have not been able to destroy Samson at all. The lords know why. Samson actually finally became weak. It was on account of Samson. God is the one who delivered Samson into their hands. And they, these fools, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. These are all fools. They think that their God is this image. So what happened? When, when their hearts were married, then they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. This translation of performed is a bit misleading. He would, they would come out, he would come out, and basically he'd be paraded to the people with all of their mocking, all of their spitting, all of their throwing all sorts of stuff at him, all of their insults, all of their slander, just like our Christ had to endure. So he is. So he is. Now this is because of him. Christ is because of us. So, the man who is leading him, because he's blind, he asks, Let me, will you put my hand on the pillar so I can, so I can lean on it? So I can support myself. Then Samson called to the Lord, finally. Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God, that I, may be, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. Let's, okay. Remember me, I pray. God has not forgotten him. He's asking him, though, though I have forsaken you, though I have forgotten you, God, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Remember me. You called me to yourself. You separated me to yourself. I have gone wayward. I have sinned. Forgive me. But don't forget me. Remember me. I am still yours. I am still yours. So, I pray just this once, O oh God, that I, may be, that I may with one, because he hadn't prayed for this at all. He didn't pray for strength. He didn't pray for the del deliverance out of the thousand Philistines. He prayed for water. After that, it's the only time he's prayed. And he's praying. And then when he asked to take vengeance on the Philistines for his two wives, what, what he's really saying is, my, I've been blinded with my sight. I see my sin. There's a lot here in this prayer that we unfortunately don't have the time to get into. But there's more than, 
you know, that I may take vengeance because of my petty little lies. This is not a selfish plea from Samson. Samson is finally contrite. He's asking God for his providence because he knows God now. Now all of his heart is God's. So he asks him, this is why you made me. This is why you sent me. So this is my final act. Let me die with the Philistines. Just like Christ, this is the only, only deliverance from the death of a judge. We can't help but see our Savior. I hope. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. So again, the writer's telling us the greatest act of Samson. Because yes, when, when, he, when he was faithful to the men of Judah and, and in that deliverance, that was nothing compared to this. This one, he's finally faithful. This one, he finally acts like the judge. Still imperfect, still imperfect, but sacrifices himself sacrifice himself to deliver his people. Throughout this, this whole account, it has been Samson alone. And it's Samson alone who takes out all the leaders of the city and most of the people. Many people think Delilah, you see movies a lot, and, you, and many people think Delilah was in, in the, the temple as well. I do not at all. I don't think she cared for any of this stuff. I think she took the money and ran. You know, she got her billions, which she don't, she doesn't care. She, she has no interest in parading Samson. She didn't care about Samson. She didn't really care about the Philistines. She just saw money. She saw an opportunity to get rich, and she jumped on it. So I, I don't think she was in there. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. So remember, that's where the Spirit of the Lord first came upon him. Our strength comes through faith. And faith is not with our eyes. We do not believe by sight. We do not believe by eyesight. That was the problem with Samson. That has been the problem of the decline of the people. If we live by faith with our eyes, and our hearts will deceive us. And we'll love many things beside Him. He gives us strength. Our faith rests on His promises, which He has fulfilled completely. And our confidence is in Him and in Him alone. Not our hair. Not our vows to be chaste, or our vows to not drink, or our vows to do anything. Our faith rests on Him alone, not ourselves. The tendency of men and women is to forget that and lose sight, sight, lose sight of He in whom we believe. Again, the tendencies of the Israelites are the same tendencies of the church. She is also had a gradual decline 
with many different gods in her way. Many different gods now being worshipped in many different ways. Many different buildings called churches. They're full of darkness. But God is always faithful. Even in those, God has, has, always has a remnant. That's also throughout the Bible. God always has a remnant. The book of Judges ends even way more darkly. But basically, Benjamin is almost, almost is extinct. Benjamin does terrible evil, and they are almost completely destroyed. And it's pointing towards Saul. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So as we finish the book of Judges, we're going to consider Ruth, God willing, next week. Consider Hannah, God willing, the following week. Consider Samuel the following week. And consider Saul. We are going to consider Saul because the series is men and women in the Bible. And God's faithfulness in and through his people, even dark tyrants like Saul. And then, God willing, we will consider David, which will be a longer, much longer account. But this is moving us towards, towards the kingship. There is no king in the land, and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Again, just like we do our, ourselves. So, let, our, let, it, let us rest on our faith, on our sight, upon the cross. Let us look continually to the cross and to our God through our Savior. That is unlike any sight you can see. That's reality. That's reality. God is invisible. He makes that a point. That's why we're not supposed to worship any image. Because he came down Mount Sinai and, and, and Moses makes a point. He was formless when he came. So stop making these idols. Stop making something that's supposed to look like him. He is God. We are made in his image. He has made us in his image to glorify us in him. You want to talk about this selfish little, little thing that he expects us to love him with all of our hearts, yet he has made us in his image. He has sent his son to die for us. And we want to complain that he expects too much from us when he expects us just to believe in his promises that he has been so faithfully true to hold and to keep. We have the same tendencies to be greedy and to look with our eyes. Or, even worse, to follow our own hearts. That is the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. The hearts of men and women are desperately wicked. We follow the heart of God. If we are filled with Him, then yes, follow your heart. You follow your love that your Savior has won. Christ has won your heart, so follow Him, not your sinful heart. Terrible advice. So, walk with God and see Him in and through your Savior, in and through His promises until that great day. We will see Him face to face. What a splendid, spe spectacular story. What an amazing providence. We didn't have to be here. He didn't have to do this. Many people, you know, <laughs> are so mad that he 
would condemn anyone. I find it fascinating that he would save anyone. If he were to only save one person in this world, I think that's amazing. I don't, I'm not all that shocked that he condemns people. All of us deserve hellfire and judgment. But he has come to save us. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's nothing like this. There's just nothing like this. Rest on his hope. Rest on his promises. Rest on your Savior. And see him. And look only to him and through him. That's true eyesight. That's true eyesight. Let go of yourselves. Let go of any petty little idolatry that all of us are inclined to have. Break those. Ask God to destroy those. Live for him. Live for him. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>